Welcome to another episode of the Unreasonable Art of Living podcast. I'm your host, Gerhard Molin, currently from Vienna, and as always, enjoy the music. Welcome back to episode number nine. <laughs> wow, we're almost at uh, wow, almost ten episodes. It's gonna be exciting. And actually, for the episode number ten, we have a very exciting guest again. I think every guest is so amazing. But again, again, again. <laughs> First and foremost, I hope you're doing fine wherever you are right now. I hope you have had an amazing week, weekend, or day. Or you have a day, amazing day, week, or weekend ahead of you. Um, wow, what a week, what a week. First of all, yeah, I'm uh, healthy again, sinus infection gone. I am. I recorded all the guest episodes I was intended to record in, during my time in Vienna. And yeah, last episode, episode 8 with Sabina. I listened to it again, it's such a wholesome episode. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. I love the, Sabina's daughter Delia, her appearance and uh, yeah it just excites me to have a chance to talk to such amazing people so haven't, if you haven't listened to it go check it out and uh, again for this week's uh, amazing feedback actually someone reached out to me it was a beautiful beautiful feedback um, so he kind of took some time off and is now in Lapland in the northern part of Finland to reflect again and I think the beautiful thing is so he listened to my podcast and it reminded him of a time where he was also so reflective. And I remember him as well because um, we haven't seen each other in years. But I remember during the time when we met, I remember remember him as a very reflective person. So I'm so happy again that this podcast inspired him to be reflective and be more aware. And he also talked about the Lumi categories and actually came up, thought about his own categories, which I find so amazing. So if you... I need to... <laughs> I like my microphone is jumping up and down. <laughs> okay, let me fix this. All right. Um, if you haven't checked out yet, if you can go to Lumi with two i, Lumi.io, and download your do-it-yourself PDF, and yeah, try it yourself, and even get inspired to come up with your own Lumi categories. And if you do, please share it with me. What Lumi categories would you choose or swap out? And you can also sign up for our early access Lumi community. Um, we are planning to hopefully release an early access version of the Lumi app. There's more than just the rating. It's going to be very exciting. And we're looking for five to 10 people for, you know, just you can have early access tested with us. We want to incorporate your feedback. And yeah, you, ah, it will, would be amazing. And um, yeah, thanks for the feedback. And thanks again for all the ratings. It has, it's just so humbling. So, so humbling. And uh, yeah, thanks you for coming back. And if you haven't, if you haven't rated yet the podcast, it would be amazing if you can give it a five star rating on Spotify, or Apple Podcast, to continue supporting it, and or share it with a friend of yours who you think this is something worth listening to. And lastly, most importantly, come back if you enjoy it. And um, yeah, I'm always so happy if, when people reach out to me and they share their personal story. 
about how they start to reflect about their lives and um, yeah, keep keep sending me those stories. I find them f- such a fuel for life, really beautiful thing. So yeah, currently still in Vienna, heading back next week to Helsinki again, where I'm going to be f- until mid-September. Then actually I'm going to be in Japan for two weeks, going to be exciting. I'm going to work uh, also with my friend Mika on the Lumi research paper I mentioned a few episodes ago. I'm planning to do some interviews and October actually might be, I might go to Peru. And the reason for that is you'll find more about in the episode. Yeah, so this episode, actually I was really, hmm, how to say, I was really, you know, struggling to decide if I should talk about this experience. And in particular, I talk about my ayahuasca ceremony, which I participated in last so when you when this episode was published like one half week ago on a weekend let's put this way one half week ago one and a half weeks ago and the reason why i this was kind of like struggling to if i should talk about it or not because of course it's involves medicine plant medicine it's psychoactive there's um a ceremony involved you know there's a shaman was involved from peru beautiful beautiful experience and of course, I can only imagine that this experience or the things I can talk about might trigger certain things or like might be understood in the wrong way. But ultimately, I wanted to talk about this ceremony, only part of it, actually. I will talk about a certain part, which was for me so healing. And I want to talk about the experience and the healings and the insights I've gained. Um, because it's not just like where something you meet and you take some you know, medicine or psychoactive components and you just trip no it's more than that it's very it's very healing and that's why i know now why they call it it's it's medicine it's a culture it's a very thousand year old tradition and i decided to ultimately to talk about it also like to honor the experience i've had the healing the growth the joy not just mine but also like everyone's every participant who went through his journey together but i also want to honor with talking about this and sharing this experience, the ancient lineage of South American shamanism and medicine. Um, yeah, it's I've such I've developed such a deep respect for their an- ancient techniques. Um, yeah, that's why I think I had this feeling to also travel in October to Peru to visit the shaman and his wife. So the shaman is called Mitsu and his wife Vero. They live in Peru. And um, they were just traveling through Europe and a friend of mine organized this whole ceremony. So I'm so grateful for this and very humbled that I was able to participate in this. It's a once in a lifetime um, event, you know, and I think I'm yeah I'm very humbled. And to be honest, I can't completely comprehend what I have experienced um, during the whole weekend. I'm still kind of like integrating. And it's also said that the, what we see and experience during the ceremony is just 30% of the whole transformation. Because the real ceremony and the real transformation happens, you know, during the ceremony of life, which accounts for the other 70%, 70%. Um, yeah, so when I talk about this today, I think it's going to be, the topic is going to be the ceremony itself, what I've learned and what healings I've experienced. And it's going to be about the beautiful energies, masculine and feminine energy in a polarity. And it's about, yeah, wow, 
<laughs> I get goosebumps just thinking about it. And I invite you to this little snippet inside of the ceremony and I ask you to approach this and listen to this with an open mind. And I can only imagine, like, I've just tried to, because I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who has never taken any psychoactive components, who is, you know, like, I've maybe heard of it. I think most of the people haven't even heard about ayahuasca. So this can sound very alien and, you know, very far off to what they are used to. And I'm very aware of this. And um, I really don't want to trigger anyone. And I can, there could be things that, you know, trigger you. And I just ask you, put it aside for a moment and just listen. And you can always send me a message on Instagram at Avocado Human, so Avocado, H-O-O-M-N-M-A-N, Avocado Human, or send me an email to howdounreasonable at, wait, howdounreasonable, what is my email actually? Because <laughs> I've never barely used the email, I normally communicate, um, on Instagram. Ah, yeah, it's how to unre unreasonable at substack.com. So, yeah, <laughs> reach out to me on Instagram or send me an email. Um, and then I would love to hear your thoughts or things that you got confused about or the things that triggered. I think it's so important to also share these things so we can both learn and grow. Very important. And how this episode is this time outlined, I think I will first talk about some key concepts before I dive into this one experience I want to share the healing experience. The first thing I think I want to talk about is the word shamanism. I think there's like so much um, could be, hmm, so many wrong pictures could trigger your mind when you hear shamanism. When I talk about shamanism or the shaman, can be male or female, was back in the days perceived as a priest, a healer, a teacher, a guide, a mentor, a facilitator, and also a conduit for the spiritual world. You could even say or argue it is almost the modern equivalent of a psychologist, of a mentor, a coach, a healer, a, a teacher, a uh, teacher, doctor. And kind of like he was assisting in, how to say, to hmm, making the unknown knowable. That is helping people to bring the unconscious material in the person's conscious awareness. And the shamans, they used... Uh, plant medicine, things that are available in nature, everywhere. It's beautiful. And uh, so this is shamanism. When I talk about shaman, Mitsu, he was our, so to say, guide. He was our mentor. He was our healer, teacher, and facilitator. Mitsu and his wife, Vero. And uh, it was absolutely uh, beautiful to watch them to, you know, how the whole ritual and the ceremony was facilitated. I felt safe through all throughout the journey and i can also speak for other participants everyone felt so safe they felt really held in the space and you know like there was never a moment where uh we felt in you know uncomfortable or in danger there was always a yeah everything's all right and we are in good hands so at this point thank you so much for this professionalism they you know brought to the ceremony and then I want to talk about, so what is ayahuasca? Ayahuasca, also called the wine of the soul. Very beautiful. It is kind of like the mother or grandmother among the plants. And you always say, like, you know, you ever, you ever know when you take ayahuasca, this medicine, it's not typically brewed as a, like consumed as a tea. 
um, what the mother or grandmother wants to show you. Sometimes it's very gentle, sometimes a bit harsh, depending on what you need to see right now in your life. And Aya, meaning deaf, actually, deaf person, deaf, dead person, spirit, soul, or ancestor. And Waska means rope or wine. And I like actually the combination, the wine of the soul. And anthropological reports <laughs> estimates that uh, ayahuasca has been used by indigenous communities for over 5,000 years. However, that's a bit uh, contested. We only have direct evidence dating back at least 1,000 years. Still, quite remarkable. And yeah, to many who participate in ayahuasca ceremonies, um, ayahuasca is considered to be an entheogenic oh my goodness how do you pronounce this word entheogenic and inspire entheogen okay third time entheogenic plant meaning um there you know like there's how to say like it is seen as being able to have its own spirit and the ability to create and connect with others Yeah, I think, um, so the, the idea behind ayahuasca is that through the plant, you unlock spirits within you, could be dark or light, <laughs> and they come to surface from the unconscious, from the underworld, so to say. And today it's a traditional medicine used by approximately 100 indigenous groups across the Amazon basin, that means in uh, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, Brazil, Venezuela, yeah, and, and uh, ayahuasca has remained a central part of indigenous culture and used in medicine, religious ceremonies, and rites of passage. And normally, the ayahuasca ceremony is like facilitated in a tipi, tipi tent. Uh, it was beautiful. It was in the center. It was like a, a bonfire. Then uh, around this bonfire, we're sitting four people each. And then at the center, like on the, the kind of like situated in the towards west, there was the shaman and his wife. And yeah, wow. So this is Ayahuasca. It's a plant medicine which is brewed and then you drink it as a tea. And then another term which I will use more often is rape, uh, written R-A-P-E, but E with this, you know, like um, line moving forward. So rape, rape. And it's actually tobacco. And it's beautiful actually to learn also about this for because for thousands of years, um, natural tobacco has been actually an integral, integral, integral part of Aboriginal culture in many parts. And it is used in rituals, ritual ceremonies, and prayers. And it has been, in their culture, considered a sacred plant with immense healing and spiritual benefits. And at this point, it's actually super important to mention, compared to the Western consumption of tobacco, tobacco is never inhaled. Because they believe when you smoke tobacco, you kind of keep the spirits in your in your body, you lock them in, which can turn into kind of like dark spirits, aka cancer. <laughs> so for them, it's important to always release tobacco or consume it through other means, for example, drinking it or through how do you say uh, snorting it through your nose. But never, when you burn it, the smoke should never go into your lungs and should remain there. And yeah. So one way how we actually consumed it was uh, through, um, yeah, it was kind of like grounded powder. And there's like many kinds of tobaccos. 
and which is then blown or snorted high into our nose. And in the ceremony setting, it is used actually as a with a two-person pipe. So um, the shaman would approach us and blow the tobacco in our nose with a very beautiful two-person pipe. It is quite was quite fascinating. I've never seen this before. And how what's the effect of it? It's like a very cleansing medicine. It gives you focus, clarity, groundness, but also like it gets you kind of like hmm, gets you to like grounds if you're like very uh hmm, mind heavy person kind of like brings you down to your heart to your intuition to feel again um so this is what, what has been used um during a ceremony quite often rape and then one thing uh <laughs> what we did as preparation on the first day was something called tobacco purge and purging of course cleaning um it's a very uh, interesting ritual so what you do you they were preparing tobacco, raw tobacco. They boiled it down to uh, kind of like tea. And then we were supposed to drink one cup and keep drinking water. And it was on an empty stomach. So we had, were not allowed to eat actually for, yeah, I think more, 24 hours, something like that. And uh, wow, <laughs> what, is it? What, what a ritual. We were sitting like, in, uh, it was a beautiful day. It was sunny. We were sitting outside, eight people in a circle and we all drank this cup of uh, tobacco, which looked like coffee. Kind of like it was very tricky. Like, hmm, delicious coffee. No, <laughs> it's a cold cup of tobacco. <laughs> and we're, <laughs> so we drank the whole cup and we had a lot of water with us. And yeah, then the purging started. Means we had to vomit a lot. And the idea behind this vomiting is kind of like to reset your body and get rid of any blocked energies and possible parasites lingering in your body. And this is all important because you want to prepare your body from any big blockages for the ayahuasca ceremony, which is a very intense ceremony. It lasted the whole night from 9 p.m. until, I think, 7 a.m. in the morning. And um, so this, again, it's a, just them being aware of this and preparing us um, made us, yeah, made me really comfortable of going into the ceremony. It was fascinating. And uh, yeah, and actually after this almost one hour of purging and uh, so vomiting, it, we felt it was a piece of sense of peace and clarity. Of course, the stomach was a bit upset, but actually I was very hungry afterwards. <laughs> and then we had breakfast, we had a very light breakfast with uh, vegetables, fruits, bread, that's it. And then the rest of the day we were just relaxing and preparing for the ceremony. It was a Saturday. Yeah, and I think we mentioned this already, our the shaman we had the honor working with or be facilitated by was Mitsu and his wife Vero. And uh, yeah, it was uh, beautiful to see them in action and how they were holding us, the music they played, and it was an unforgettable experience. All right, so these are the, the ground. We have set now some ground terms for you. And... So there were two parts, actually. It was Saturday evening and Sunday evening. And I want to really focus on the ayahuasca experience because um, that's the part where I'm very com more comfortable talking about in the sense of I've um, kind of like integrated of what I've experienced there. And it was a very beautiful learning. Mm. 
and I'm gonna like walk walk you through. I hope I can do my best to picture the scene and what I went through my mind and what I've learned. So it was Saturday evening, 9 p.m. We gathered at the tippy. We our job was to kind of like we also like you know if you want to bring something personal, bring it. You can dress up nicely and. Um, we made it very comfortable in the tippy. There was a beautiful bonfire. And at the start of the ceremony, um, we had to kind of like open the portals and thank the gods of the east, west, north, and south. And we also received our first rape, so the first tobacco in our nose to crown us, to prepare us for this journey. And actually, during the first rape, it was a very powerful receiving. So I was sitting cross-legged, I had my eyes closed, and I saw a mountain. And, you know, nowadays when I meditate in the morning, I see the same, I saw this, it was the same mountain. And normally when I meditate, I see a mountain and uh, circling around the mountain, there's a phoenix, a beautiful phoenix. It, yeah. Um, but this time I saw the mountain and there was fire and something was missing. The phoenix was gone. What was no fire? It was just smoke. And as I approached the top of the mountain, I saw the ashes of the phoenix. So in a sense, I came to celebrate the end of something. The end and the new era of a new phoenix. So it was almost a celebration of a symbolic death. This is the images I had in my mind. So bear with me. <laughs> and then it was time. I drank the first cup and it actually tasted really delicious. It was like a dark, a bit thick um, yeah, liquid. And I drank the first cup and relaxed. And then we, it was quite dark. So we, the fire, we kind of like, yeah, there was not, no strong fire yet. And the, we turned on off all the lights, so all the candles and the shaman accompanied us with so played music and powerful beats. And we closed our eyes and just, yeah, tried to tune in with ourselves. And yeah, for me, nothing happened besides feeling a bit nauseous. <laughs> I was just there, eyes closed. I mean, I enjoyed the music, but yeah, nothing happened. I was like, all right, let's see. And at that point, actually, it's more important to mention the same day on Saturday, we did a Maya calendar reading. It was very beautiful. I mean, um, you can uh, think about this as you wish, but it's always fun fun to listen to. And I think it's, uh, it was very beautiful what they told us about our personality. And during the Maya reading, they recommended for anyone who tried in the past um, chemical drugs, could be years ago, they tried to uh, recommend that we also take a plant medicine called Vilka. And it's also called the piranha plant, kind of like to, to remove any demons, especially chemical drugs, even if it's years ago. And to kind of like cleanse an open portal so Ayahuasca, the mother, can reach us. And this was planned and agreed with me and basically all participants in the group. And so <clears throat> I was approached because I, t I was like, hey, you know, I, I don't, there's nothing really happening. And yeah, I took Vilka. It was also like inhaled, like snorted through the nose. And um, wow. <laughs> and we had to keep the, um, <laughs> we had to keep Vilka in our nose for at least half an hour. And I asked uh, Vero, the wife, hey, uh, could you <laughs> let me know when half an hour is over? <laughs> because it's, you know, not that pleasant. And she's like, 
Well, <laughs> so funny. You will, if you feel like you deserve it, you can remove it out of your nose. I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> so I took Wilka, um, kept it in my nose and closed my eyes. And I saw this, wow, fascinating um, artifacts. But at the same time, I also got very nauseous. <laughs> so I closed my eyes and um, yeah, I started purging. Um, and we had our, our bucket and kind of like there was something still blocking and I had to release it. And yeah, so when this was over, I felt better, lighter. And also like the images in my head that I think Wilka kind of like produced were quite light and beautiful to watch. But still, I felt like there's something, something blocking. And actually my mind started to question the whole ceremony. So here my rational mind kicked in. And maybe even my ego. And it really tried to kind of like fight the whole thing I'm experiencing right now. It tried to fight the ceremony, this spiritual language, um, the ancient plants. And it almost convinced me. It really tried to convince me. I remember this inner dialogue with myself very clearly. It, it, convinced, it tried to convince me that maybe the reason I came here for is to see that I don't need any plant medicine. This means, so this is something I, I told myself the first part of the early Saturday night after like nothing happened for, I think, two, three hours. This means I should, yeah, I told myself maybe then, okay, this is the learning I got and maybe I should drive home on Sunday, you know, and skip the second part. This is maybe the learning I, should, I was, you know, I was meant to come here. I was so convinced that this was it. It was crazy. And then, um, I think, more hours later. So the, the ceremony consists of two parts. The first part, so at 9 p.m., we would take our first dose of, or the tea of ayahuasca. And then I think around 2 a.m., we would take the second cup of ayahuasca. And then suddenly, yeah, the second round was offered. I was like, what? It's already 2 a.m.? I felt like maybe two hours passed only. And, yeah, before, so Vero came to me and she's like, you know, maybe we should, because I said, I don't feel anything. And she gave me like this, the same amount um, as in the first offering. And before I drank the cup, I made a deal with myself. I made a deal with the universe and life. And I said like, okay, all right, I'm going to drink the second cup. And if the reason I came here to see that I don't need medicine, I don't need plant medicine, then I will drink it and fall asleep. Well, and if I'm not, if, I, if there's something else... <laughs> I'm ready to be, I'm ready, I'm ready to see. So I drank the second cup and wow, it made me actually quite nauseous. It's like, wow, it, was, it started slowly and suddenly like this nauseous feeling grew stronger and stronger and stronger. Let me take a sip of water. <laughs> and it's like, all right, um, there's something blocking. I think Ayahuasca... The grandmother tries to tell me something, but she can't reach me. So I took my bucket, which was next to me, and I perched. I Whatever was blocking it, I released it. And actually at this point, I was actually, um, need to tell you like this, it, it sounds so wow intense, you, you vomit so much, but actually there's a, it was a very thankful 
relationship with vomiting because every time I vomited, I felt like, oh, thank you. Something was blocking inside of me and it had to get out. So yeah, after I purged and whatever was blocking it, removed it. Wow. Then it happened. There was so much light and ease and joy. And so I closed my eyes and laid back and I was in peace and there was like so many beautiful images. And I was like, okay, just surrender and see what Ayahuasca, the plant medicine, tries to show me. And at first I couldn't quite understand. It felt like it felt like she tried to tell me something, tried to reach my heart, but my mind was speaking or receiving instead of my heart. Kind of like my rational mind was blocking her. It was blocking the mother love, the feminine energy. And again, as a side note, this is very very important. During the Maya reading the same day, I was told that, you know, I have a tendency, a very, you know, it can be a very powerful mind that sometimes is so strong that it can override the heart, that it kind of like overrides intuition. And it's so powerful to in being able to convince me that this is the true path or the true thing I need to do. And I think at that moment it happened. There was something the mother tried to tell me, Ayahuasca, but it couldn't reach my heart. <laughs> and then actually I had my closed eyes, my eyes closed, and I was lying on my side and I was like smiling, but I was like, wow, I see a lot of visuals. <laughs> And then Vero, she tapped on my shoulder and I opened my eyes and she sensed, oh, there's something, something off. Um, she sensed that I, there was some resistance. My mind tried to resist the kind of like the touch of ayahuasca. And she approached me and asked me if I wanted to try rape, the tobacco, so I can ground it again and be able to receive through my heart. And I just looked at her, no, I'm fine, you know, I'm, I'm dripping. <laughs> And I was laughing because like also I was a bit um, fed up with all this tobacco in my nose because it makes you also nauseous. And, you know, like I'm, I've never been a smoker, so I'm, I never really liked smoke or tobacco. But um, I was like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay. And then she, uh, yeah, she, she went back and left me alone and with myself. And then I had my eyes closed. I declined, of course, and my, yeah, my mind doing better, of course. And then my inner conversation started. I was like, why didn't I accept? Why didn't I surrender to this feminine energy that was able to sense and support me? What am I afraid of? Why don't I trust the feminine instinct? And then I was like, how often has this happened in my life before? How often have I missed out on the powerful and beautiful polarity between masculine by not honoring the feminine. But also not honoring the masculine by leading and providing and providing safety. Wow. I told myself. What an insight. And then I... Oh, I was, uh, yeah. I saw it so clearly. I was like, wow. Of course I can't receive my heart right now because my my rational mind tries to block it. So I approached Vero again and said, yes, you're right, I should take another rapé. Please help me. 
So I took it, I was sitting cross-legged and wow. My experience then, like the images, the feelings, it's hard to put in words, but I saw all the powerful women in my life I'm surrounded with, especially my, you know, being so grateful for my mother. I have a dear relationship with her. My sisters. But also, I've seen how many, how often I've, I've not able to receive the feminine, natural feminine energies and blocking them. But also not able to step up and live truly to my masculine energies. You know, I saw all the mistakes I've done as um, in my previous relationships. And I was like, wow. This is what I was supposed to see. Not only, of course, the mistakes, but also like the beauty, what can happen if between the polarity of masculine and feminine. The beauty of feminine energy and masculine energy played out in the most natural way. Hmm. And of course, I had to forgive myself because how should I have I known? You know, I never learned it from my dad. There was never an initiation process to kind of like teach me those things, ancient knowledge about masculinity, but not just this toxic masculinity, what we know about not having emotions, not just being strong. And, you know, like when you think about masculinity nowadays, you just see a pumped up guy who, you know, just seems like hard from the outside, but inside has no lack of confidence and has no love. And how should have my, my father known? And because my grandfather didn't know. <laughs> and then it came to me, it's like, wow, but now I know. I need to honor this. I need to learn more about this. And I need to lead by example. And this was my Ayahuasca learning and healing. Because now I see it and now I know it. <laughs> And actually, yeah, um, this is going to be not a 40 minutes episode, <laughs> most likely. Because <laughs> let me think. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'm going to play part of um, part of Ellen Watts' Balance on Masculinity because also I want to share a bit about a book I've read about that. Actually, just, just the last days. But yeah. Uh, let's play this and then I will go into the book. Enjoy. Man at his birth is supple and tender, but in death he is rigid and hard. Thus suppleness and tenderness are the marks of life and rigidity and hardness the marks of death. Tao is always gentle, you see, always yielding. It is feminine in a way. Lao Tzu says, although you may be a male, always have a certain feminine quality, and thus you will become a universal channel. That has particularly to be learned by men in the United States, who tend uh, to overcompensate masculinity, uh, to uh, be ashamed of gentleness, and to emphasize a kind of yang, 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 yang attitude to life. Uh, which usually indicates a fear of incipient homosexuality. Uh, 
and uh, as a result we have a lot of um, misunderstanding between men and women because each one is so busy being their particular sex that they have nothing in common so uh, this idea then is the strength of gentleness and of course it is ultimately on this philosophy that the Japanese worked out the science of judo do is the way the Japanese pronounce Dao. Ju means gentle. Judo, the gentle way, whereby a strong man is alarmingly defeated by the use of his own strength against himself. But if, for a change, we would allow our feelings and look upon their comings and goings as something as beautiful and as natural and necessary as changes in the weather, the going of night and day, and of the four seasons. We would be at peace with ourselves, because what is problematic for Western man is not so much his struggles with other people and their needs and their problems as his struggle with his own feelings with what he will allow himself to feel and what he won't allow himself to feel. The, he's ashamed to feel really profoundly sad, so much so that he could cry. It is not manly to cry. He's ashamed to loathe somebody because you are not supposed to hate people. He's ashamed to be so overcome with the beauty of something, whether it be a natural landscape or a member of the opposite sex, that he goes out of his mind with this beauty. Because all that kind of thing is not being in control, old boy, not kind of having your hand on the wheel. <laughs> and then, uh, if you've read an article in Look, this week by Marshall McLuhan and George Leonard on uh, sex, the future of sex, fantastic, brings up some information that what they call the narrow-gauge specialized male, that is the sort of guy who gets out there and sells, you know, and he, um, he, he, he mustn't have any feelings because that would be unmanly to have any feelings, except he can have a kind of a gruff, and, but so many of these men are like that. And it says that that role-playing of that kind of male gives you ulcers and uh, all kinds of complaints and is more deadly than facing the bullets in Vietnam. And they all die before their wives because they are engaged in the pursuit of a completely fatuous goal. This fatuous goal is the future. And it is symbolized, above all, by money. They make lots of it. And uh, have much more than they can even think about. And they have no idea what to do with it. Except make more. Except invest it in bigger and bigger units of something. And uh, while they are harassed about that, they are wondering about the antitrust boys, the internal revenue, their competitors, and all these ghouls who are involved in the game. They lie awake nights, uh, they can't go home and throw the whole thing off, uh, they 
have to get completely boozed. Uh, that's one way out. Or tranquilized, which is another way out. Or something or other. In order to take it. And they call themselves realists. You see, they're utterly unrelated to the physical universe. This is partly, of course, because of the education they've received. You see, if you go to an ordinary school, such as we've had uh, since the, um, oh, the early 19th century, um, you uh, discover that your education is purely cerebral. You are prepared to be an executive, a bureaucrat, some kind of uh, Turk. Yeah, it's a very beautiful um, on balancing masculinity. And actually, uh, just a few days ago, I read the book The King, Warrior, Magician, Lover. Beautiful book, 156 pages. I can recommend it to anyone. And it's um, the four, it talks about the four archetypes of masculine energy where they were popularized by psychoanalysts Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette in the early 1990s. And they talk about that these four archetypes represent the primary patterns of mature masculine behavior. And of course, with each of them having a set of qualities, behavior and characteristics, but they also with a shadow side to it. If you're not um, careful, like, you know, like you always like have to think about where, which side do you nurture? And I will not go into details, but I think I looked into it and when I talk about masculinity, again, I'm not talking about what we always see, this toxic masculinity, this machocism, which is just about strong and, you know, no feelings, no compassion, no leadership in a, in, in a good sense. It's more about tyranny and weakness. It's about uh, manipulation and addiction. This is the, the shadow sides of masculinity. What I talk about is the, queen, the king, for example. And the king, for example, archetype represents a sense of order, centeredness, authority, and leadership. In their court, the king brings unity and order. It creates laws, ensures the well-being of the kingdom. And mature kings are wise, just, kind, and they inspire loyalty and trust. And yeah, and of course, the shadow side of a king can be a tyrant, it can be abusive and authoritarian. And when you talk about the warrior archetype, also like very difficult word to kind of like, there's a lot of, um, how do you say, images that come to our mind when we think about the warrior, it's just about blood and war. But actually the warrior archetype in their, in their coin or their term embodies determination, action, courage, loyalty. Warrior, the warrior within us stays strategic and masterful in achieving the goals, displaying resilience, discipline and strong will. And they're typically protective and fight for their belief in. And of course, in the shadow form, they are destructive, cruel, merciless, and using the powers and skills for selfish and destructive purposes. And we can see this in politicians, um, in executives. Yeah. And the magician, also beautiful. The magician archetype um, kind of symbolizes the wisdom, the knowledge, the transformation. They are typically individuals who seek understanding and have a deep love for truth. They have insights, intuition, often problem solvers, inventors. And they use the knowledge to transform situations of people for the good. And the shadow side of the magician, 
yeah, they use their wisdom knowledge to manipulate for selfish gains. And lastly, the lover. The lover archetype represents passion, empathy, appreciation for beauty and sensuality. And this archetype is deeply connected to emotions, relationships, their personal desires. So lovers are the lover within us is compassionate, romantic, and values deep connections. And of course, the shadow aspect of the lover can be obsessive, dependent, um, overly idealistic about their love interest, but also like addicted. Hmm. So I think there's more to talk about each archetype and what it actually means as a masculinity in polarity with feminine energy. And I would actually love to have a guest who is someone who is well versed in this topic. So if you know someone, please reach out and let me know. Maybe I can get in touch with that person. Because I'm in the very beginning to learn this ancient wisdom and honor it. And maybe my final outro words for all of this. So I thank you for listening to this episode. It was a difficult decision to publish it. Because it was, of course, it's a ceremony, you know, shamanism, ayahuasca, plant medicine. The first thing people will think is like, yeah, people just <laughs> going somewhere and tripping. But I hope after what I've shared with you on the learnings and the healing, mm, it is much more than that. It's medicine. It is a very ancient way of psychotherapy, in a sense, where the shamanism was the psychotherapist and facilitated the healer. And for the plant medicine, we would uncover unconscious, deeply unconscious knowledge and pain and emotions to let it surface and let us see it and deal with it. And for me, it was exactly that. I had to see that. I had to see the beauty between feminine and masculine energy. I had to see how I have failed to live up to my masculine energy, to live up to allow my king, my warrior, my magician and lover to nurture and come to surface and mature and not be stuck as a boy. And it has also shown how grateful I am for all the women out there, the life creators, for my mother, my two sisters. And yeah, all the people, all the women who have who have had the honor to share a period of my life with them. And also, of course, seeing how I failed in many aspects. And finally, being able to forgive myself because in the end, now I know and I can do much better and help others to see as well. <laughs> so we're coming to an end. Um, yeah, I think at my last words are two things. If you want me to talk more about, because I could talk, I think, yeah, one or two episodes of the whole topic about masculinity and feminine energy about the book King Warrior, Magician and Lover, which is a fascinating book. Let me know. Send me a message. Um, send me what your thoughts about these topics are. And again, if you know someone who is a very, yeah, someone I should talk to as a guest, let me know. Suggest it. It would be an honor. So thank you for listening, my dear listeners. It is for me the greatest honor to be able to record these things and knowing that there are people like you out there who are interested in listening. You're the hero of the whole show. I hope you know that. And with these words, I hope to see you back next week with a fascinating guest episode. So 
Have a wonderful day wherever you are right now. Bye-bye.